Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On The Wing Podcast. Got uh, two fun personalities joining me today. Our frequent co-host, uh, the public public relations, easy for me to say, right, Jared? Public yeah. relations manager, Jared Wickland, back uh, on the with the On The Wing podcast because he was a featured guest on the television show The Flush uh, that will be airing later this year. And that's uh, that's foreshadowing who our featured guest is, Travis Frank, host and producer of The Flush on Outdoor Channel and the host of The Flush podcast. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to On the Wing Podcast. How are you guys doing? Great. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. It's a good summer day. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, it, you know, I was looking back and we had you, Travis, on one of the very first guests of our podcast, but it's been too long since you've been back. Um, it, you know, we got a brand new show or brand new season of the show, The Flush, mm -hmm. that just started airing on Outdoor Channel. Um Tell us, you know, give us a little bit of uh, the overview of the season ahead. What's, what's the, what's what's got you super excited for the episodes coming up? Well, mainly because we're going bird hunting. <laughs> mainly, there's a lot of bird hunting. No, I it, it has been a while, and my goodness, has the world changed a little bit since we've done this? Especially this whole digital world. Like I'm, we're talking to each other right now in three different locations, and I remember the last time we were able to sit right next to each other and and have a conversation, and that always feels normal. But this, we're trying to figure this out, right? Um, yeah, so a new season is airing right now on the Outdoor Channel. We're excited about it. We always try, and this is my goal, is we always try to have a good variety of stories, of shows and locations. Hunting pheasants, obviously, is something we've done forever. Um, but we've got chucker, we've got quail, we've got grouse. And we really try to never hunt the same area twice in a year. And if we can, we really try to not have the same state in the same season. Um, inevitably, we do run into that where, uh, you know, we're Minnesota-based just like you guys are. Um, we're only a few miles apart here at our, at our headquarters. Um, so Minnesota, travel-wise, the hunting season is always short and filming – you know, a whole season of shows during our limited time frame is always a challenge to us. But we've we hunted anywhere from, uh, gosh, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, Dakotas, um, and a lot of places in between too. So we're we're excited about the the people that uh, we've been able to join in the field. And again, they're just people like us, right? People that love to hunt and they've made it their life's passion in one way or another. Um, so, uh, that's kind of the season in a nutshell. And I think we try to say that every year, right? <laughs> how, how many seasons have you been the host? It, it seems like it's gotta be five, right? Is it five years you've been doing this? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. I've really kind of in the last, I want to say the last four years taken a, a bigger chunk of the, mm -hmm. the hosting duties, Ron, 
uh, Ron Shera for many years did it basically on his own. Uh, when the, when this show first started, was it like 15 or 16 years ago, Bob? Yeah, it was 2005 was the, the launch of, uh, what, what was called back then pheasants forever television. And I believe, I think it was on what, what back then was called the versus network. It was. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, which man. is now that's gone through some name changes. And so that's uh, NBC Sports. I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's NBC Sports today. Mm-hmm. And they've a lot of networks go through these changes where they're they, their focus is, you know, hardcore sports. And then they say, you know what, we want to get the outdoors or, you know, they're always trying something. And so, yeah, now we're on the outdoor channel. And we've been on the outdoor channel for close to 10 years, I think. Mm -hmm. It's been, you know, a really good fit. Obviously, that's, you know, it's kind of the same. It is the signature uh, bird hunting show on the on the outdoor channel network. Yeah, we've we're really um, we're really happy with uh, the way that the show has gone. At least I would say I am uh, since I've started producing it. I feel like one thing that seems to be really common is this 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 interaction um pretty much every time an episode airs uh we we just have people that reach out they tell us their own experiences how it's similar what they liked uh once in a while things they dislike and that's that's good to hear too so but just that i feel like we're open in the community the upland community is 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 very much uh, interested in having those conversations. And I personally respond to every one of them that I can. We do have a social media director now. So it used to be something that I would answer all of those as well. And now somebody else does most of it. But uh, a lot of the questions come to me first and I'll give a response and then they'll send it, something like that. But either way, we're we're open uh, and we get to communicate with everyone. And that's really where I learn about, you know, the the stories that we try to film because we don't want to just walk a row of, of uh, sorghum or Milo or something in a group of 10 hunters and flush birds and shoot them. It just doesn't seem like me personally. And you guys maybe can tell me what you think, but I want to learn more about people and their stories and uh, go on adventures and stuff. So that's really what our main focus has been. All this talk of 2005, is bringing me back to uh, when I wild, wild and crazy Friday nights at Luther College in Northeast Iowa. I'd sit down and, and watch the show in its very beginnings on Saturday morning. So it's uh, it 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 takes it takes me back, and I haven't been involved in the show for that long. But uh, I've it's it. There's been some incredible stories told, and it's it's been fun to be a part of. Yeah, the the incredible story that was told in this current week's episode and i haven't yet watched it but it, it goes back to my home state <laughs> uh you're grouse hunting uh the islands uh in lake huron right uh lake, with lake michigan with the hunting dog oh was it in lake michigan okay so with the hunting dog podcast host ronnie bame tell us about that one that was a wild adventure. My goodness. I actually, I got really sick on that trip right off the bat. Uh, I had, I ended up with pneumonia. Um, 
And so it was miserable from the get-go. But there was hurricane-like winds that came through. And we were supposed to go on this big charter boat, this ferry that you can drive your truck onto. And then it's like an hour, hour and a half ferry ride. It's it's like 30 miles from the mainland of Michigan. Um, and there's a group of islands out there. Beaver Island is the largest. And it's the archipelago, Beaver Island Archipelago Complex, um, Archipelago, something like that. And it's, there's like 12 or 13 (laughs) islands out there, but they're all open to the public. It's all state owned land. Um, so anybody can go hunt it. They, the, there are residents on Beaver Island. It's a summer tourist destination and there's public land there as well. We hunted on Beaver Island and we hunted on two other islands and we had to take, basically our ferry boat got canceled from the winds, the U S uh, weather service or whatever. They, they literally said that they had 20 foot swells. And so they canceled all lake traffic, but there's this, um, airport that flies out taking people to and from the islands and you can book a flight and your dog can hop on and everything. So it's $110 round round trip flight ticket, $62 for your dog. So it's not bad. Uh, so we, we booked the flight and the pilots like, yeah, we're like three mile an hour away or three knots away from having to cancel flights, but we're good. Let's do this. So we got on the planes and we flew out to the island and it was it literally I was scared for my life. I'm not going to lie. It was really ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I've said this to, in a couple of other places, too, but I had a really bad experience in Alaska on a on a cub plane or I thought we were going to die. We did a 360 in the air in a storm and I was like, I'm not doing it again. I will not do that again. And here I am getting in this little plane. But anyway, we a cameraman. We. <laughs> just to get there we finally got there i kissed the ground i was thankful and uh but then you're kind of like in this you're you're out in the middle of nowhere in october the island is quiet all the tourists are gone and there's on beaver island there are deer and turkeys um but these other islands there hasn't been a resident since the 1940s and you've got you know miles and miles of just rugged ridiculous wilderness uh we hired a local dive boat charter to give us a ride out to the islands and then he had so he's got this big boat and then he has a dinghy so we take the big boat and it's like a five mile or three mile drive to the next island and then we took the dinghy and he brought us up to shore we unloaded and it was by grouse hunting standards in America. I mean, it's about as really remote as you could possibly get. We're on public land. It took us a while to figure it out. We happened to, those winds did push down a big migration of woodcock. So we had tons of oh. woodcock. And then we, we did get uh, dialed in on the grouse as well. Um, but it, it certainly was um, interesting because those islands don't have predators like we have on mainland. There's no raccoons. There's no skunks. It, there's no deer. There's there's no other life except for grouse and woodcock. And I do kind of almost feel bad now saying it because it's I don't know if it exposes those particular islands. They're they're large and it's very difficult to reach, but anybody can do it. Um, and it, it kind of makes me wonder too. You know, what about islands on Lake Superior or here? You know, mm-hmm. like some of these other great lakes islands as well um so it's more so just the adventure was incredible it was just so cool to do something so different um 
And I think it. I've heard from people that really enjoyed seeing that adventure. Uh, there's a lot of hunters, a lot of grouse hunters in Michigan. Bob, you know. Um, so they're always wanting more grouse, but, but the reality is you got a video camera and you're trying to find a bird that most hunters, when they flush them, have a hard time trying to see. So it's a real challenge to film since that there's kind no, of show. So since there's so few predators where they, you know, you hear stories of rough grouse and uh, you know, Southern Canada and really Northern <laughs> reaches in Minnesota where, where, you know, it's completely different where they're pressured, right? The birds, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in central Minnesota and the UP, Northern Wisconsin, you know, they are wily as all get out, mm-hmm. but you hear stories about some birds that you got to like throw stones at and in Southern Canada to flush. Yep. What about these Island birds? Were they, which were they more like? They were more like our Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan grouse that I've hunted. They didn't, um, they didn't hold like they do in Canada. They're, I, I was really surprised. I thought, okay, these birds have never seen a hunter. There was very little sign of any other humans there. Um, and they still flushed really wild, which was really surprising to me. Uh, I, I don't know what causes that. I have hunted them in Ontario before, and I've seen those dumb birds that you're talking about where we couldn't film the show because the birds didn't want to fly away. They'd look at you, and they'd look at the dog, and the dog would be just on a stare-down hard point, and the grouse would kind of cock its head back and forth and, and say, and you are a what? And I'm going to supposed to do what now? You know, so – but the, the island birds were wild. They were, dang, they, they kicked our butts more than, uh, they won a lot more than we did. We'll just say that. That That's fine. The, the reason I really wanted to bring Jared on this show is because I, he, he talked about the trip you guys took last fall to film an episode. And that one has not aired yet. But my expectation is that's going to be, kind of the pheasant highlight of the the 2020 season of the flush tell I, i've heard jared's side of the story and <laughs> keep, keep him off of us Bob. <laughs> and, and he's kind of sworn me to secrecy about how good it was i'm like jared you you did it for a television show how, how are you planning to keep the secret but he says like one of the best uh pheasant hunting experiences of his entire life uh tell us about the trip to iowa last fall i would second that um just the sheer amount of birds that we saw was incredible and then the fact that we we got into quail on top of it it's just a, a bonus um we hunted Public ground, Jared's old stomping grounds with um, his buddy Matt from PF as well, and we we did we told the story of Iowa's IHAP program. Um, you can say, you can write it, you can talk about it, but if you let people see it, then they got to believe it, right? So we walked some of the most beautiful grass I have seen in the Midwest on these IHAP properties. Uh, a lot of times the blue stem was over my head. I'm not a very tall guy, so that's not saying much, but I, they, it was just, it was incredible cover. 
and it was late season. They'd been hunted for Jared. How long? What? When did we go again? December. Uh, gosh, when was that? Yeah, I think it. I think it was. I think it was beginning of December. Mm-hmm. So they'd been hunted for uh, several weeks already, and it's all mm-hmm. public land. And we we flushed a lot of birds on there. It was a challenge, just like it should be. Um, but my goodness, to be able to go uh, from you know we're based in the Minnesota metro area, and it's just a four hour, five hour drive. It's not bad at all. No different than driving to South Dakota. But um, we saw a lot of birds, and then we met a couple of uh, Pheasants Forever volunteers, and. They took us to one of their friends' properties, and it was this side hill, uh, really steep slopes. And so the landowner had been a farmer for ever and ever, and they were talking about this land not being very productive for farming because it's such a steep slope. So they they put that into grass cover, and he goes, yeah, five or four years ago, there was not a single pheasant on this entire property. And Jared, I... I, I don't even have a clue as to how many birds we flushed out of there. Do you, if you want to ballpark it, I mean, in the hundreds. It was it was in the hundreds. And that that um, I think, you know, part of that telling that story was to show the power of, of partnerships and how uh, volunteers and, and chapters can come in and provide a service uh, for private private landowners as well. And, and not just the private side, but we saw a lot of birds on, on the public side, too. We, we didn't hit all of them. And you're going to see that you're going to see that in the show mm-hmm. itself. But. Um, you know, helping helping manage public and, and private private grounds, and then um, you know, for me, it was uh, it was sort of a homecoming. I almost got a little bit teared up when we did some of those uh, inter- interviews afterwards because it's a it's a place that's near and dear to my heart. And um, like you said, I mean, back in 2011, I, probably 2010 through like 13, you you, you couldn't you couldn't buy buy a bird out there much less you know go out and, and shoot a, a one limit for like three buddies hunting together and now you you fast forward uh six seven eight years later um and we're seeing hundreds of birds in some of those spots i, I just think it's a it's a real success story it's a testament uh to pheasants forever's work out there our volunteers and it's a testament to the bird themselves you give them the right habitat um, and they they can come screaming back in populations in a in a very short time. And this I don't know that the fall of 2020 um, is setting up out there from the people that I've talked to lately. And I talked to one yesterday uh, who's a good good friend and chapter president out there. Iowa has the opportunity to be absolutely loaded with pheasants this year. So if you're looking for a hunt, um, that that's also a, a great destination. I would put it as the birdiest, the birdiest place that I saw last year in all my travels. Wow. It, you know that that region. Um, you know, last last year was really really wet in parts of South Dakota in bird country there. So um, it just made conditions really tough on a lot of people. I know Bill filmed an episode. Bill Shirk filmed an episode in Redfield. Um, that one's coming up as well, and they had their hundred year. Uh, celebration of pheasant hunting in Redfield and they threw a big party out there. So he went out and documented that and uh, a hip waiters would have been appropriate to walk a <laughs> lot of the, a lot of the pieces out there, but he met a really great family as well and spent a day with them in the field. I think the gentleman was in his mid eighties and then his son and his son's sons. And 
the three generations. And that's really kind of, you know, what we try to show because that's the reality of what the viewers are doing, right? You, you're going out with your friends and your family and doing those kind of hunts. So that's, that's another one. Uh, and they, they did find, again, quite a few pheasants out there in South Dakota. And like you said, Jared, from what I've been hearing in pheasant country, bird country really across the midwest gosh mm -hmm. the optimism for this fall is really exciting right now yep and i think you know it's 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 interesting that it takes a uh you know a pandemic and people staying at home to, to to sell a lot of licenses right there the number of fishing licenses has increased dramatically turkey license increased dramatically this spring and i think pheasants are going to follow suit and um, you know, if that's if that's what it takes to get people reactivated and out there, um, you know, that's fine. And I, I think, um, you know, if, if people are going to go out and hunt uh, and reactivate or, or maybe be a new hunter this fall, boy, they they're they've picked a pretty good <laughs> they picked a pretty good season to try and go out for their first time or to or to reactivate themselves. So I, I, I think it's I think it's going to be at least the reports I'm hearing um, are big broods in a lot of different places, not just. Iowa, Minnesota, South Dakota, but a lot of different regions. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of optimism out there and, and we continue to hear really good reports, which, which will be, um, I do want to talk about what's on the filming agenda mm -hmm. for the 2020 season. But before we get there, you know, Travis, you're in a unique position. Um, really anybody in this country, where you are traveling uh, in search of upland birds every year. You know, you got a, a mission to film 13 new episodes every mm -hmm. season. And that takes you north, south, east, west, to, you know, pheasants, to bob whites, to rough grouse, to sage grouse, to sharpies. I'm getting envious just listen, listing yeah. these species. How important, so, so I got a two-part question for you, longest-winded question in the history of our podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, <I like> it. <laughs> so, you know, the, the first part of the question is you see the diversity of landscapes and the importance, at least our perceived importance of habitat to all those species. Mm. Uh, draw draw the connection for us, uh, you know, how important that is across the landscape with all those birds. And then the, the second part to that is, uh, well, I'll ask the second part of the question and afterwards. You go ahead and answer the habitat piece first. Yeah. Well, first off, um, before I even do that, I, I just feel really fortunate. The good Lord has blessed me with an incredible opportunity and I don't take it lightly to meet the people that I've met, to go to the places that I've been and to share these stories is something that I'll I'll cherish the rest of my life. And I feel fortunate that this is what I, this is my mission right now. This is what I'm doing. So um, very, very humbled a lot of times on the, the things that I've experienced in my life and doing filming this show is, is a hundred percent something I love to do uh, on the habitat side of it. It's a hundred percent. It's it's the mission, right? It's Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever's mission. It's all the organizations out there. It doesn't matter what we're hunting for without it. I, I was talking to uh, some farmers last night about exactly this, and I'm like, it doesn't matter where, where you go or what you want to hunt for. If you don't have habitat for that critter, that bird, you're just not going to have them, and that's the bottom line. And so I've learned that the habitat really changes the needs 
the needs of each particular bird changes depending on where they are living. So, you know, here in the Midwest, in Minnesota, in Iowa, Dakotas, Wisconsin, I mean, we're focusing on grassland, right? We want grass, and we know the importance of all of those native grasses. You get into some of the bird country in, like, Nevada. You know, we did a chucker hunt out there with Matt Harding from presence forever quail forever and i was talking to him about this i'm like okay so you've got millions of acres of public land right in minnesota we're like ah you got a you got a 320 acre section you are the luckiest hunter in minnesota out there everybody has 320,000 acres of access and then some and i'm like so what do you what is your mission out here and he's like it changes you know chucker they we, you know, people aren't going up and destroying mountainsides, right? They're not tilling up that land, um, but they need water. Um, they need different things. Those birds have different needs. And so, um, you know, his mission looks different. Um, you know, just like the quail, they, they, they need people to log those trees. They need the new cuts. They, we've taken away forest fires. So we just need to, understand what those birds need to survive as well and it it doesn't matter where you hunt you just you have to and we're doing i think we're learning a lot um and we can only do as much as all of the hunters support right you guys pheasants forever and quail forever right. are, ki are kicking butt out there um but we can only do as much as uh we have the power to do So as you approach a television show, you know, trying to figure out what's going to make for a good, um, a good entertainment for a viewer. Mm -hmm. uh, my assumption is you, when you're talking with somebody that's bringing you an idea, you're, you, you talk a little bit about the habitat bird numbers because you, you need action. You're trying to get a sense of, uh, the personality because you need you need that dynamic human interest angle there's probably an adventure component talk to me about your thought process with all these variables to de try to determine what's gonna make a good episode of the flush yeah we get so many people that reach out and say hey if you ever want to come hunt here we've got lots of birds and they'll send me, they'll attach, you know, five photos to their message with, you know, a bunch of pheasants or whatever birds laying on a tailgate. And I'm like, cool, cool. Tell me more. Tell me, you know, how you got started. And I feel like the goal on my end before we get real serious is I, I, I want to know more about, you know, the, the whole big picture, um, their, their personal stories, things that might seem um, not interesting to them might be really interesting to somebody else. And it's really always been, you know, Ron Shera has always had the mission of telling stories, right? That's what he started 25 years ago. All of his television shows are always about stories. And we still strive to do that, even if it's an upland bird hunting adventure. It's the adventure. It's the story that goes with it. Everybody can relate to that. Um, and everyone has their own unique story. The more I learn about people, the more I can develop 
you know, what I think might, uh, what we can see. Uh, sometimes people say, oh, we did this and this and this happened. And that was, you know, 10 years ago. Well, the camera has to see something for people to be entertained and to keep them there. So what can we see? Let's talk about that. What can we do? What can we experience? Um, sometimes it's just like an incredible, an incredible uh, feel-good story. Um, or uh, I'm actually working on one right now for this fall that I'm, I'm hopeful happens. And this is just an example of a story, Bob. But um, it's a guy that's been a dog trainer for over 30 years. Um, he's worked with some of the most well-known dog trainers in the country. He also did two tours in Afghanistan, and he trained dogs that were on the front lines leading soldiers into places that had bombs hiding, things that were mm. intended to kill them. And he trained those dogs to go ahead of them and smell those bombs out, the explosives, to protect the soldiers. And he did that for two tours over there in dozens and dozens of dogs. He developed these relationships with these soldiers and their dogs. They come back. Now these soldiers that are dealing with things that we and we can't even imagine, PTSD, he still works with dogs. He trains them to be by these soldiers, these veteran sides um, back here now. And they're doing things like if, if they wake up with night terrors, uh, the dog knows that. The dog pulls the sheets off of the, the person in bed, flips the light switch on for them, and is, wow. has a trained command to comfort them, really? to bring them out of their night, night terrors, things like that. Well, he, yeah, and so this is an example of what he does on a day-to-day basis. He also takes these people out hunting uh, in South Dakota. And so um, that's just an example of, a, of there's, there's a story there that I just really want people to know, right? I mean, that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, and we get to, use dogs and pheasants in, in, as a way of being able to tell his story. Um, so that, that's really kind of, I'm, I'm always looking for the adventure. I'm always looking for people that are inspiring others to, um, to do that kind of stuff. It does feel like the story you just illustrated. Um, so that's must see TV. That's something that I want to watch. And it feels like there's more of the human interest angle in outdoor television these days than there was, say, five, ten years ago. Like, yeah, people still hunger to watch the epic flushes of birds and and hunting success, but that's not the that's not the as big of a motivator on outdoor television today as it was just a couple years ago. Do you think that, is that a true statement or is that just, is that just my view of the, of the world? I don't know. I think it's, it's a combination. If, if we tell a story and there's no birds flushing, no birds in hand, I think it's gotta be a combination of both. And so that's where I, I, I strive to really, I'll spend sometimes a few hours digging into a story, uh, a story angle or a story idea to really understand what we can see and what we can gather. I always ask people too. I'm like, what is a, what is a bad day look like where you guys are hunting? Because everybody always tells me about their best days, but they might've had, 
They might have been out hunting 40 <laughs> times and had one of those good days and then a lot more of the bad days. And so when we show up, we got a camera crew and we're trying to document these are wild birds. This is real hunting. And this is the reality that nine times out of 10, it looks like this. One time out of 10, it looks like that. And the chances of us landing on that one or that 10% are pretty slim. So let's get to the reality of what we probably will see when we're hunting. And then we can go from there. Right. I don't know if I actually answered uh, the question there, though. Did I about I, I still think people want to see birds flush and people want to see birds drop. So it's yeah. it's about it's a balance. And it depends on it depends on on the viewer, too. I mean, for so many years, a lot of these stations, they thought or these these TV shows thought I need to shoot as many animals as possible. And then they say, but we're about the story. We're about the story. Well, are you? <laughs> because you're whispering. I don't understand what you're saying. And then all of a sudden you start shooting at stuff and your show is over by the end of it. So I don't know what the story is. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, everyone, everyone's different, Bob. If you know the, if you know the perfect recipe, <laughs> we're always hoping to figure it out. Which, which episode for the current season would be the closest to a perfect recipe from your perspective. Which, which episode in 2020, if folks are just gonna tune in to catch one, what yeah. one episode is gonna hook them? Well, I, I'm actually, I'm really happy with several of our shows. The one Jared and I filmed in Iowa had it all. Um, we had, you know, public land, everybody can go do it. We had hundreds and hundreds of birds. Um, you know, the people we met were great. The Island Adventure on Lake Michigan, if you're an adventurous soul and you want to experience something way off the road, that was a hell of an adventure. I will say I also <laughs> did another adventure in the middle of North Dakota on a boat. I, my cameraman's like, can we just do a hunt without a boat one of these times? It was like, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was below zero. And I unloaded my boat off the trailer. There was snow on the ground everywhere. And we went out in the middle of the Missouri River on Lake Sakakawi and we hunted public land out there. So that one's coming up. Lots of birds out there. Holy cow. Uh, Bob, I, I will say one of my favorite ones, the first episode of this season that aired a couple weeks ago, and it will re-air again the first weekend in uh, October, the first week in October. Um, I took my wife hunting out on the prairie in South Dakota, and it was her very first time hunting. I mean, we, we trained back home during the summer and did all the things to get her ready for it. But being out there with my best friend and, and sharing that experience with her and, and being able to document that, uh, I, I've watched it several times and I just, I just, uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know, talking with her about it. We, we hunted with Tinker Kennels out there, Jeff Gillespie. Um, you know, before he took over that operation, it was Bob Tinker. And so it's, it's grouse hunting on the rolling hills near the Missouri River, and you're on horseback. It's just spectacular. Bob, I know you did a horseback hunt last year. It's, it's so indescribable to watch dogs roam the prairie doing what they love. You're not working. You're enjoying the ride in the saddle and you're just in awe of the country out there. And we got into so many, there, there are so many birds on that prairie right now. I talked to him the other day. He's like, I don't know if it's going to be better than last year, but it's looking 
really good again. And we got into hundreds of grouse. And so we had everything I've, there as I've, well. I've got a question. I've, I've got a question on that note, Travis. So mm -hmm. I think it was the, it was the episode preview with your wife that you're talking about here where mm -hmm. somebody, somebody came on uh, to our Facebook page and says, man, those, those are the glory days. And I went on there and I said, uh, sir, actually, this is actually, this is 2019. This was, this was like less than a year ago. So like, it's, it's, <laughs> open, to, it's open to anybody. How do you, you know, Bob, whether it's you, Bob or myself, like we, we, we weren't alive uh, or I wasn't, I wasn't hunting anyways during some of those glory days where you could, you know, go out and see hundreds of birds right out your back door. But how do you, how do, how do you define that? Cause I know you get asked that question. And, and for me, it's like, mm -hmm. you're, you're an upland hunter. You're going to go out and hunt. You're going to take the bird dogs and you're going to get out there. And you know, uh, upland hunting isn't a uh, upland hunting, great upland hunting. I don't think is, isn't a thing of the past. And we witnessed that last year after we were done with that hunt in Iowa, I went on public land up in Northwest Iowa with a buddy who lives up there in a waterfall production area. And same thing. We moved hundreds of birds with two guys and two dogs. So I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you look at that when people are like, Oh, the, the glory days and talk about bloom and doom nowadays. Cause I, personally, I don't think that's the case. So I'm wondering what your take is. Yeah. I, 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 Every year is the glory days, right? If you're not out there, what what's the point? Why would you sit and talk about something that happened 60, 70 years ago? I think we look at the glory days and say, hey, that's what it could be. That's that's the potential. And I wasn't yep. alive to hunt pheasants in Iowa in the in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s when they had millions and millions of birds there. But you know what? That soil can produce that. That's a that's the potential. So you can look at it that way. But I say, you know what? I mean. Every single time that we get the chance to get out there and hunt, enjoy that for what it is. And it's all relative to where you're at. So we, we're spoiled. We we in Minnesota might say, you guys in South Dakota, you're so spoiled. You have so many pheasants over there. You and I, oh, you got so many pheasants. Well, you know what? Somebody over in New Jersey says, oh, my gosh, you guys in Minnesota, you're so spoiled. You have no idea how many pheasants yep. you guys have. So um, it changes by year. I mean, up. It's all about perspective. Yes, absolutely. And the opportunities are out there. The more time I spend in the field in different parts of the country, the more I realize that anybody who complains about, you know, the good old days and it sucks right now and it's a waste of time is is probably not somebody that's really invested in spending much time out there. And they can have those opinions. That's fine. But I, just like you guys, have been out to places that I've never been before and I've seen things and learned a lot. And I can say, I mean, it, it just really helps open my eyes to what's really out there. And I would say even the Western half of America, you know, you get into some of these areas far from big cities and birds far outnumber humans. And a lot of people are big game hunters. And so like you get into Wyoming and you, you've got 11 or 12 species of birds that you could hunt. You could spend a whole season there and not even scratch the surface. And that's just one specific state. And, and it's all public land. You know, I mean, there's there's so much yep. opportunity out there that I would say, you know, the glory days are whatever. They're they're gone. Right. Let's get over that part. Let's let's enjoy what we have and keep building on it. And to I mean, this is something that, Bob, I mean, you and I have talked about this, Jared. We've talked about this for years. Um 
all it takes is, you know, like we can talk about this and say, come on, rah, rah, everybody get out there. But if, if you and I, if the three of us each take one person hunting this year, that can be a big difference. And so if everybody just takes one person hunting, it's going to help grow so much, uh, you know, just the, the love for the outdoors, you're showing them that experience, giving them the opportunity, because right now, I think the biggest thing that prevents us from growing the hunting community is just opportunity. People don't yeah. know what they, they don't know what they don't know. You take them out there. Oh, and that's actually one of the other shows I did. I, I did a, a hunting, I did a show uh, that'll be later on this season with first time hunters from that are in America now that moved here for their own different reasons. One was an anti hunter his whole life, uh, you know, just to understand their perspective on things. And it helps me to get a good perspective to say, Hey, <laughs> we should, you know, we can complain about losing a lot, but we can also be really thankful for what we have too. And it's, um, so long winded the answer there. Yeah, absolutely. Well and you've uh, you've brought it up a number of times public lands you know uh, there's probably a perception out there that uh this show's just uh canned birds and you know <laughs> built-in success and that couldn't be farther from the truth i mean this is 100% organic like you ask the questions to try to find the right spots and to d- deliver action to the viewer but uh and, and we're not built into a real rigid construct that uh, every show has to be on public land, but the majority of them are public lands and it's 100% wild birds. Yeah, it really is. It's something that those questions don't come up very often anymore, but it's funny when I, I get, I talk to people are going to film with, I've had people say things like, Hey, do you want me to put some birds out? And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> what do you know. Um, so I've, I've had those come up, but, uh, our cameraman, God bless him, because uh, when we hunted Chucker in Nevada, that we came home and that, I mean, the third day of, of climbing those mountains with the camera on his shoulder and batteries and all that crud that we've got to lug for 20 plus miles, we had to wrap his feet Jason was our cameraman in that one. We had to wrap his feet before the hunt because they were all blistered. Every toe, the bottom, the heel, everything. I mean, he we put him through some of the worst stuff. And me personally, I I love the adventure. I love wild birds and public lands because I grew up doing that. I didn't have funds yep. to I was never, as a child growing up, my dad never had the ability to take me to a hunting outfitter or lodge, so I never experienced once in my life what it looked like to walk pen-raised birds. I just had never done it, so when I started producing this show, I just did what came naturally to me, and that's, I want an adventure, because I I know that all of my buddies that watch this show want to see an adventure, too, and that's where I kind of, I, I... I've always chasing a good story, but I tend to really gravitate towards those public land adventures. So here's a here's a question: when when you were when you were booting up the dogs for that particular show, did you guys were you guys booting up the cameraman on the tailgate as well? Then 
Yeah, absolutely. I we he we had to stop and get him some gauze and some other stuff too. And I tell him, I'm like, Jason, we're climbing. Yeah, he's one of these. Unfortunately, uh, this cameraman, he's one of those uh, Iron Man, uh, tough mutter uh, runners, and he goes through all those extreme things. So he's like, Yeah, bring it on. Let's climb mountains. Let's do it. And he hunted with me in Arizona in the mountains and. Uh, and I think, no, a different cameraman in Wyoming, but anyway, um, so he's like, yeah, I'm good. I got good boots. And I go, you sure you got good boots? <laughs> Cause that's, that's a, that's a deal breaker right there. Let's just say he didn't have good boots. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So as for folks, we, we haven't thrown out the, the air times yet. So for folks that, uh, want to catch the flush, uh, it's air, it airs on outdoor channel, um, it, I think it's, uh, four weeks in now, uh, there's Mondays and all times I'm going to read are Eastern. So you can adapt based on where you are. So Mondays, 10 30 AM Eastern Tuesdays, 6 30 AM Eastern Fridays, 5 30 PM Eastern and Saturdays kind of the signature time, 8 30 AM Eastern. So, uh, but each new episode airs for the very first time uh, of the week on Mondays, like like you'd probably expect. Monday is the kickoff of a new week on Outdoor Channel. So Mondays at 10.30 a.m. Eastern is the first opportunity to catch the new episode of The Flush or uh, certainly... Uh, DVR it, and you can watch it when you get home from work on Monday night. And then all episodes after the season. So if you want to go back and binge watch, uh, they're available on YouTube, and you can you can find that through uh, just Google the Flush YouTube, and you can watch all the past episodes. Um, I miss yep. anything there in in terms of folks being able to watch the shows, Travis. No, I, we do hear from people each week that say, when can I watch it on YouTube? And there's a lot of people that cut the cord years ago. So uh, the deal is you got to wait till the end of the season before we can put them on our YouTube channel. Um, so we've got all the shows in their full uh, entirety there, uh, but you do have to wait in order to see those. So they'll be going up starting the first week of January. And then we also have them on our Amazon channel as well. So if you like watching your TV on Amazon Prime, you can watch The Flush there as well. So for folks, um, they can they can mark it on their calendar. The flush begins airing every year at the very end of June, early July. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it runs a it starts the third quarter of the year and runs through the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So through the end of the calendar year, and then we all have to take a break and watch it on binge watch old episodes <laughs> on YouTube during the uh, January. Through um, through the spring, uh, the winter and spring months, and then it comes back on again, um, kind of that midsummer mark, and uh, we get fresh new episodes. Speaking of fresh new episodes, yeah, this is the time uh, time of year where you start putting your feelers out for where you're gonna where you're gonna go film next year, and uh, so the first one on your calendar, you you are generous enough to agree to dovetail a fundraising component for our first ever online Upland auction, which for listeners is going on right now. Mm-hmm. It, it ends uh, July 28th. So if you're listening 
to this particular episode before um, 7 p.m. on July 28th, you still have time to make a commitment to <laughs> Visit Forever and Quail Forever's wildlife habitat mission and be part of an episode of The Flush in South Dakota next or this season yeah. air next year. Tell us about that, Travis. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it's a really cool idea. Bob, this is your your idea. And I said, let's do it. Uh, I Obviously, we all love meeting uh, like-minded pheasant hunters. So, um, yeah, basically what we're going to do on this adventure is we're doing a South Dakota road trip. And we're going to hunt with four different PF biologists in four different parts of the state. And... I when I basically what I've learned anytime I get the chance to hunt with the pheasants forever biologists, there's very few people that know the land better than them. So they're going to put us into some pretty incredible places. Um, we're gonna we're gonna document the adventure for a television show. So it's going to be a you know a full half hour episode. Um, I'm looking forward to it, just being able to you know get in the state and go to four different parts four different regions it might be east river west west river um you know hunting different parts and late season in south dakota it could be just some of the best weather of the year i've had some of my best hunts in south dakota in that you know december time frame when most of the hunters are doing something else they've hung up the shotgun so it's a great time of this season to be hunting and uh you know you're going to meet different biologists but you're really going to see i'm confident that we're going to see a lot of birds on some pretty great properties yeah yeah good point it, it is a um quote unquote guided by pheasants forever biologists which mm -hmm. uh like as you made that a great point you learn so much beyond just those four days of hunting you'll be able to learn a hell of a lot about habitat and what to look for that you're going to be able to apply to your bird hunting going on forever. Really? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's going to take place for you and a guest in December. It's a late season hunt. So it'll be on the books with you for the 2020 season. Um, it's, it's a really, really fun uh, concept and can't thank you, Travis, and the flush enough for being a part of it because not only is it going to be a, a tremendous experience for one winning bidder and a guest, but you know, let's face it, uh, COVID, the pandemic has put a, a hurting on all nonprofit conservation organizations. We've we we had to cancel or postpone uh, most of our banquets this spring. Uh, times have been challenging in this online auction. Our first ever online upland auction is one of the ways that we're uh, trying to close the gap. So when folks make a bid, they're helping us generate funds that go direct to our habitat mission. So it's a it's a real fun way for people to contribute and be a part of 
be a part of our organization. Absolutely. And for somebody, it may end up being a hunt of a lifetime and it's going to be documented. They'll always have it. They'll always be able to watch back and say, yeah, remember that time we went to South Dakota and we hunted with four of the most knowledgeable hunters in the state on some amazing property. Oh yeah. Here, let's watch it. We have it. It's right yeah. here. You know, it's pretty, pretty cool. I'm glad we're able to do it. I hope that we can, uh, we can really ramp up the the price on that and, and put that money to good use. And if for folks that want to learn more, uh, it's being featured. Uh, the auction itself is featured on the carousel banner of our homepage. Whether you go to pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org, you can find a link uh, to the auction and it's top front and center, the flush trip to South Dakota uh, the number one auction item on the roster for that Upland auction. And like I said, it runs through 7 p.m. on Tuesday, July 28th. So please do check that out. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, the anticipation for this particular hunting season is as high, is as, high as I could ever remember it. And part of that has to do with the quarantine virus pandemic component, you know, we're all uh, embracing the outdoors more than ever before because it's one of those things you can do being social distance and, and being excited about, uh, um, you know, just being safe, but experiencing uh, something we're passionate about. But the other piece is it's a pretty mild winter. And it was a pretty favorable, really favorable spring weather conditions for pheasants and quail. So where there was quality habitat on the ground, you know, if you got pretty good habitat on the ground, the weather was cooperative. And we are just hearing awesome, awesome reports about the hatch. That's got to make you... Darn excited, Travis, for a season of, of uh, filming ahead. I'm really chomping at the bit to get out there, just like everybody else. <laughs> I really am. And Bob, to couple that too, so some of the most extreme winter areas of the pheasant belt, uh, the Dakotas, Minnesota, uh, think about all of the wet land that was uh, all the crops that were still in that did not get harvested last year. So in the areas of the region where winter kill is a big factor, Yes, they had good uh, wintering conditions, but they also had all the food they could all handle. And you know they came out of that good. Um, I've talked to a lot of people in the Dakotas, and they're all like, oh, my gosh, there's so many birds. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited. We're, we're in the planning stages right now for trying to figure out where we're going to go. We're, we're sort of planning, sort of holding, if that makes sense. I'm basically just like – this is, can I, can I say this, Bob, make the, may this be a, a call to action for anybody listening right now that has a good story idea, uh, that says, Hey, you know what? I'd love to have the flush come out and film a TV show with me and my family or whatever it might be your operation that you've got. Um, uh, take me on an adventure. I'm interested. I want to know more. You can reach out to me directly. Um, and do that. Just go to the flush.tv and there's a form right there. You can send it. It goes to me. Um, but I'm also, we're, we're trying to figure out how to safely do this this year, right? There's so many unknowns with the travel and with everything going on. So we're kind of, 
we're we're planning, but also we're kind of just waiting right now uh, before we make firm plans on on some of our travel. One of the things I'm thinking of is I've got a <laughs> I've got an Ice Castle fish house that's basically an RV model. I've got an air conditioner in it, a bathroom, uh, you know, the essentials to to camp. I'm throwing the idea around of a bird hunting road trip, Bob. I don't know if you want to jump in with me and go, but I mean, I'm talking. North Dakota, Montana, we circle down, you know, maybe Iowa, Colorado, we swing back up through South Dakota, and we might do several episodes on the road this year. It'll be the first time that a uh, ice fishing focused sponsor <laughs> has, become a, has become a partner with uh, Peasants Forever in the Flush. We'd like to welcome Ice Castle, the official... <laughs> The official ice house of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Right, absolutely. It's my own fish house, but it can become bird camp for all of us if we wanted to. I just think we can, we can, I mean, we're all working from home anyway right now, right? So why don't we do this? Bob, Jared, we just plan about a 15-day window where we just, honey, I have to do this. And I will be home yeah. in 15 days. <laughs> we're going to go on it's, the road. It's, it's mandatory. Yes, exactly. Well, I- after the hunt with your wife in North Dakota, I, I imagine she's going to lobby to go with you, though. Yeah, yeah, I know. she's. We're, we're talking about ideas again. Well, and, and that's the that was the magical piece out of that particular episode, which was the season premiere, as you mentioned. Um, her smile. You know, I, I, you, you could tell that she just absolutely enjoyed that experience. And... Yeah. You know, experiencing that with you, with the horses, with that landscape, you know, we, we talk about, the, you know, finding success with the birds and that's a big part of it. Right. But that smile illustrated that there was so much more going on and that's what it's all about. It really is. I mean, first off, I definitely, I'll kick my coverage there. Um, I married up for sure. Well, I was thinking that too. <laughs> really, really, all viewers in America were thinking that. Too. <laughs> yeah, to the right, 100%. <laughs> I acknowledge that oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, and it's so funny too. I've told this to a lot of people, but husbands, if you want your wives to look at you in a way of, uh, like she told me many times how, attractive it was to see me in my element doing my thing and i think you know we don't always we don't always as as hunters if if you know men we don't always think of it that way but you know to bring your wife on an adventure like that um just Mm -hmm. the bond that you can grow closer to to your wife i don't pass that up if you get the chance to do it she showed interest and i jumped on it i as soon as i've taken her hunting before i she sat in the deer stand with me before um but she never had this desire to want to pull the trigger or you know i bow hunt and she sat in the bow stand with me but uh one day she just said i wouldn't mind i would shoot a bird and then i was like you know i i didn't i just like ran with that opportunity we got you know she started shooting clay pigeons and she's a dead eye she's probably a better shot than me um i I'm serious. She went like 10 for 10. Once she, once it clicked for her, you know, it was just boom, boom, boom. And so then taking her out there and just letting her be free out there, that's what we live for, right? We're, we can't wait to get out in the open prairie. 
But for somebody that's never experienced it to really understand why changes everything, changes everything. It's just, yeah. it's powerful. It's, it's just, it's why we, why we do this. Right. Yeah. I'd hundred percent echo you. My wife is, is shown the interest in shooting a couple times. She's like, yeah, I'm going to carry the camera, but she loves it just to go walk, watch the dogs. And I love having her. You know, just the, the, the depth of bond that's created sharing something that I love so deeply and then she starts to love it. And then we share it over, you know, our, our dogs together and then we can share the meal afterwards and, you know, pick up, you know, a nice wine that goes with it. And, you know, and you're, you're out in the, the fall and there's, there's a place that I think about, we always go together and hunt and, they they sell squash and pumpkins on the side of the road and we figure out, you know, what squash we're going to get and pairing it with that bird. And it all kind of comes together and like a romantic date. Yeah. Weaved around a hunting experience. Like that's hell awesome. yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah. She, she said she afterwards, she goes, that's the best date I've ever been on in my life. And that's a great way. That's a great way to sum it up too. And also, you know, when I, we eat a lot of wild game at my house, all the birds, all the animals I, I harvest. I, I mean, I like to, with, I've got two little boys and a little girl. She's the biggest meat eater of all of us, but we talk, like I'll talk about the hunt when we're eating it. And for the longest time she goes, can we just not talk about the food that you killed right now when we're eating it? And then I say, well, no, because it's the experience. It's all part of it. Right. So yeah. when she went on it, now it's okay. And she understands why it brings <laughs> your, you're eating it. It's all full circle. And you're just kind of like relive that moment out there on the prairie together. It's pretty special when you can do that. And I encourage every husband or every wife, anybody that's listening right now to, just put the feelers out there and see if you can't make that a possibility. I, you know, especially this year when we're seeing the outdoor world just explode in popularity because it's the safest place we can be. Right. I mean, I anticipate the fields being full. So thank goodness we've had good wintering conditions, nesting conditions, and a lot of the, the bird range. But uh, so I'm hopeful that there's going to be a lot of positive uh, hunts this year, but this is a great time to bring, somebody somebody that's not hunted especially your your best friend along with yeah uh if folks do have thoughts for you um for for story ideas for the 2020 season uh throw out how to how to reach you again for for listeners yeah pretty simple just just do a search the flush tv you'll find us it, the web address is actually the flush t or i'm sorry the web address is the flush.tv and then there's a contact form on there you just fill that out and it'll come to me one way or another and we'll communicate back and forth um i always ask people one of my first responses is tell me your story tell me more um you know what if we had three days together what would those three days look like what can we anticipate tell me about your hunting partners your your operation um the land your dogs. Tell me as much as you can. I have a running folder of story ideas that runs from New York to California, Alaska to Florida and everywhere in between. It all depends on the hunting seasons, what makes sense. If I've got something already locked up for 
the week of September 15th and your idea in Maine is September 15th, you know, I have to try to plan everything accordingly to keep the seasons and the adventures uh, spread out as best I can. So, but I keep those ideas forever. That folder is, is constantly, I'm constantly putting new stuff into it. Um, I want to, I want the best options possible because I, I want viewers to enjoy what we're showing them. And, you know, for listeners, um, if I can testify on Travis's behalf, he's, he's an absolutely wonderful human being and we couldn't have a better ambassador as a ethical hunter, conservationist, spokesperson, uh, just just a tremendous person to represent our organization as part of the flush. And that goes along for, you know, just being a really nice guy to have along on a hunting trip. You know, he's, he's not pretentious. He's not going to, you know, talk your ear off to the end of time. <laughs> he's not going to be stumbling drunk. Uh, he's just a all around <laughs> damn fine guy. A very genuine partner. I want to, yeah, I'm going to come through this microphone and give you a big hug right now, Bob. Thank you. Yeah. I, I really uh, appreciate I, it. Well, yeah, I mean it. You're, you're just a great human being. Well, and, and that's, that's Thank important for a nonprofit organization to have people that um, uh, represent who we are and our volunteers and our mission well. And, and you do that wonderfully. So, so thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, Jared, let's start with you. Uh, closing thoughts. Well, um, closing thoughts on, on this particular episode before I turn it to you and then we'll go to Travis. I want to remind folks the flush on outdoor channel airing right now, Mondays, 10 30 AM Eastern Tuesdays, 6 30 AM Eastern Fridays, 5 30 PM Eastern and your best time, the best time listener or viewership. Saturdays, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, but you can DVR it and you can ca catch past episodes on YouTube. All right, Jared, final closing thoughts for this episode of On The Wing. Um, I'll, I'll echo your sentiments, Travis. It was, uh, it was an absolute ball to hang out with you last fall in Iowa. Uh, I thought we had a great hunt, great experience, great storytelling, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cherish cherish that trip for, for a long time. Um, I will say this though, too, uh, kind of based on some of the things we talked about today is that there are a lot of, out, uh, outdoor upland hunting opportunities that are going to be coming around this fall. Thanks to an easy winter, uh, good weather, uh, and most of all, awesome habitat that's being put on the ground by pheasants forever, our partners, our volunteers and, and landowners. Um, and you know, we're, we're all in the same place right now. It's a very uncertain time in this country, uh, you know, related, related to the virus. And we, we just don't know what's going to happen. But I, I will say this is that the, the outdoors, uh, which was once a place of solace for some is now a potential remedy for all. And if you, um, you know, if you're getting reactivated or you're a new hunter, this is a great time to start. Um, we still are going to have uh, chapters out there that are probably going to be able to um, provide some some mentoring experiences in a in a safe 
safe social distancing environment, excuse me. And there's no better place uh, than the uplands throughout this entire country uh, to create the ultimate social distancing experience. And, and whether, you're, whether you've been on the, the show, The Flush, before uh, you submit a show idea um, or you just go out and kind of make your own show this fall with the people that you love and your family, um, this is a really great time to do it. And I'm, uh, I'm hopeful for a great fall. And, and I too want to take out my wife and kids and, and some of my close friends and, and make those experiences. So Travis, thanks for coming on and, and sharing some of that with us. And, uh, I hope you have a great fall. Well said, Jared, what was that line? The outdoors has been a, a solace for some, and now it's a remedy for all. Yep. yep. Well said. Amen. Well said. I think Amen. there's a lot of truth. Yeah. Uh, Travis, closing thoughts. I feel like I can't go after that. That was impressive, Jared. <laughs> I, I 100% back up everything you said. I, I would also add, too, that uh, as hunters, if you're um, somebody that's spent a lot of time out in the field, you know a lot, you've learned a lot, this year you may encounter people that are hunting for the first time or don't know a lot that are trying to learn. And it could very well be somebody on their very first hunt that you walk up to and it can change the future for them, how you react to them. So it's just something to be mindful of that um, we, we have a big impact on the outdoors as people that are out there using it, teaching others how to treat it respectfully. So if somebody's in the wrong, I don't think we need to necessarily be hard on them um, because we don't know at what point they're coming into it. I think if we can all just help other hunters that we see this fall in the field, it could end up being a blessing considering that we're going to be seeing probably a lot of new ones out there. And uh, I'm trying to remind myself that when I'm seeing people in campgrounds right now on lakes, uh, you know, driving boats, backing trailers up, just really patience, <laughs> you know, pa patience. And I think that's going to translate into, into our fields, this, and forests, this, and mountains this coming season. There's a, there's, there's no better way to find a, a, a new fisherman or a new boat owner than watching them back a trailer. And that's for sure. <laughs> uh, good well, thank you very much, Travis, for joining us for this episode. It's always great to talk with you and look forward to seeing the whole season play out. Yeah. Thank you guys. And I, I echo what you said about me. Pheasants Forever is very, very fortunate to have both Jared and Bob as the voice of the organization. You guys do an amazing job. I know you both personally. I've hunted with you both. Bob, we've hunted quite a few times. We've gone fishing. Uh, you're as good as they come, and the organization is really fortunate that you're the voice that uh, talks to people. And right now, um, more than ever. Well, thank you very much. This is, this is a... Um, a, a joy to do. Obviously, uh, we're all very passionate about not only the mission and, and um, the outdoors, the uplands, but obviously this organization. We we bleed pheasants forever and quail forever orange. Mm -hmm. All right, folks. Thank you very much to listening to, for listening to this episode of On the Wing podcast. 
sort of brought to you by Ice Castle Fish Houses. <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe they're listening. We'll welcome them. Um, thanks for listening, folks. And please tune in to The Flush on Outdoor Channel. Uh, great representation of uh, everything we're passionate about. All right. And if you're not yet a member or if it's time for you to renew, check out Pheasants Forever or QuailForever.org. Heck, join them both. We could use you. Definitely right now we could use you. Uh, thanks for listening on the Wing Podcast. I'm Bob St. Pierre saying always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks. <laughs>